0: But I want to talk to you about, it's a heart condition. I don't know about you, but nobody that I've ever known of has ever gone to the doctor and, and rejoiced when they heard, you have a heart condition. I was, uh, when, when I was young, I was uh, sharing with Chuck, this morning, when I was younger, I had a rheumatic fever, and I was at the doctor a few years ago, and he said, Oh, I can hear that murmur. You have a, a, a heart murmur. And, and he told me that one of, the, one of the aortic roots, one of the valves, or one of the uh, veins that are coming out of the uh, heart, is enlarged. And he said, You know, stay in good health, because sooner or later, that's going to get you. And I thought, well, that's really good news, <laughs> you yeah. know, but when I was younger, the doctors told my parents that I wasn't going to live past 10, so what do they know? We serve a great God, So, but nobody wants to hear, we, we eat well, and we, and we exercise, and we do all of that, you know, because like when you, when you go and, and, and you get the healthy choice of cereal, and you think that the healthy choice of cereal is going to counteract that donut that you just ate. And, but we eat well and we try to exercise and we do all that. And it's in an attempt to keep our heart healthy so we can live the life and, and, and enjoy life the way we want to. It's, it's something about it. So it's a physical aspect. But there's also other aspects when we talk about a person's heart when Sometimes we, we talk about a person's heart and we talk about their grit, their determination. Uh, have you ever done that? When, when you look at somebody and you say, man, that person has a lot of heart. It doesn't mean that their heart's bigger than everybody else's, but they have a lot of grit. They have a lot of determination. I remember years ago, I, I was coaching uh, junior high basketball and I had some really good players and we played this other school it was a warm-up game and if you know what a warm-up game is it's a school that's decidedly worse than you are and you're just learning your skills and you're practicing on them and they had one player one player so Mike Hazelrig if you're listening I love Mike Hazelrig because he was the only one that actually could dribble the ball on that team And he had so much heart. I put in my third string and told him to quit shooting. And we were still 40 points ahead. But Mike never quit. He had heart. Later on, several years after that, I was pastoring a community alliance. And Mike's father, John, was my music director and I knew where he got that determination it was from his mother (laughs) I'm sorry John I couldn't help that John and, and Natalie are just amazing people. I wish you could meet them one day. Uh, but the heart is also seen as the center of our emotion. It's not just a physical heart. and It's not just grit and character. But it's, it's about the center of our, of our emotion. Have you ever seen somebody you looked at and said, Man, they just are all heart. and you know, They're the ones that cry at commercials you know, and, 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 they're, and they're just very sympathetic, and they, and they look at, they see a little animal on the side of the road. I mean, the other day, we had that big storm, and, and a bird, little bird, had fallen out of its nest and landed on top of our grill, and I didn't notice it for like three days. And the only reason I noticed it is because my daughter, Jessica, pointed it out to me in tears, saying, Dad, would you please move that? Because I don't want Jess- uh, little Gwen to see it. And I looked at it and I thought, This is so cool. Because you could see all of its little bones and everything. And I wanted to keep it to show it to my grandson. But she had all heart. My sister was that way. My sister had a lot of faults, uh, but one of the things that Carrie would do is she would give you anything that she had. If you were in need and she had it, she would give it. Now, she may talk about you after you left. <laughs> uh, but, but I want to talk in, in particular about a heart condition of the church. Not just this church. But let me give you some statistics. And and I want you to understand that I am a glass half full. In fact, I'm a glass over full, overflowing. I I don't like to be uh, associated or around negative thought and negative thinking. I don't see that in Scripture. In fact, the only time that Peter had a negative thought, Jesus rebuked him and called him Lucifer. Jesus was very positive. I believe in being positive. The Bible says with joy you draw waters out of the well of salvation. And if we are Christians, if we are born again, if we have the Spirit of God in us, it doesn't matter what we're facing or what we're walking through. There is joy. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. So uh, I like being full, but, but here, let me give you some, some statistics that are going to shock your world in 1996 70% 70% 7 out of 10 people in America were affiliated with a church 7 out of 10 that's pretty good that's really good of that other 30% about 20% were people that knew they needed to go to church just didn't The other 10% was comprised of Hinduism, Islam, Buddhism, various atheists. In 2020, 24 years later, 47% of of people in America, this is the first time in history that there is a majority of people that do not go to church. It's a heart problem. I'm going to put this in just because it's come to my mind. We look at our world today and we see all the trouble and the chaos and the anger and the, and the viciousness. If you track the, the violence in our nation and, and the rebellion in our nation, it is in direct correlation to people not attending church. As the church goes, so goes a nation. Each successive generation drops in their percentage of attendance. The older generation, we call the traditionalists or the silent generation, has the biggest percentage of people. Baby boomers are less. Gen X are even smaller and millennials are even smaller than that. Each generation. In, In years past, I have talked to to friends and when when I was a kid when my parents did go to church it was you didn't miss you know we were we were kind of like my wife and I were you know the real Christians in the 80s and 90s that's when the real Christians were around Uh, that's when you never missed you never you know you always were focused and you always uh, you were always in church it didn't matter Sunday morning Sunday night Wednesday night whatever it was you were there and I had friends that as I started pastoring that that they would tell me, Well I'm not gonna be here this Sunday because my kids gonna play soccer or my kids going to play basketball or my kids going to do this. And I tried to warn them against that. Now you can disagree with me on this if you want. I'm just sharing my heart today. Can I do that? Their kids if they go to church today, go sell them, if at all. Because what you and I consider optional, they will consider non-essential. It's important in our own lives that, that we are examples to not just our, our spouse, and our children, and our grandchildren, but to those that are around us. Every year, every year, are you ready for this? Every year, in America, there are 3,000 new churches. Woo, don't you love that? 3,000, isn't that awesome? However, there's a 40% fail rate. So there's 1,800 new churches every year. Because 40% are just but 1800 is pretty good except for the fact that every single year 4500 churches are closing by the end of this decade the Presbyterian church will be completely gone 82% are you ready for this 82% of all churches all churches all churches have either plateaued, which means they're no longer growing, or they're in decline. 18% are growing. Woo-hoo! 18%. 6% of the 18. And if you do your math, 0.06 times 0.18, it's point zero 1%. 1% of churches that are growing in America are from conversion. I want you to think about that for a moment. 18% of the churches that are growing, that means 99% of the churches that are growing are from transfer growth, people leaving one church and going to another. And there's only 1%, this is according to Gallup, Pew Research, you can look at all of them. You can Google it. I love that word, Google. You can Google it. You'll find all this information. 1% of the churches that are growing are, are fulfilling the commandment of go into all the world and preach the gospel. The church worldwide is thriving. Christianity in. in in the sub-Saharan Africa is just booming the church in, in Central America and South America is just booming the church in China is incredible but in Europe and in America and in the first world we have an issue we have a heart issue and here's what I find fascinating about this over 90% of those conversions, of those churches that are, doing the, that are having conversion rate, you know, it's 1% of all churches but, but of, that are growing, and 90% of that 1% are Pentecostal. You know what that tells me? That they're giving them something more than theology. They're giving them something that they can latch on to. They're giving them an an experience. There was a time in America that, that almost all churches were that way. But over time, it's kind of... But here's the good news. Jesus gives us the answer on how to heal the heart of a church. Don't you aren't you happy for that? This is where I want to go. 6 years ago I came here. And I came here because the church wanted to grow, wanted to take off. And I'm here today to tell you that I am committed to that and I'm going to see this church take off. We will do whatever needs to be done to make sure that this church continues to grow and continues to grow in the presence and in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you would, take out out your Bibles, if you would, if there's one in front of you, and turn to Mark chapter 4. We're going to be going through this for the next four weeks. And you say, well... uh, you know, there's a, a lot of people that are going to miss this today. That's okay. I'll touch on it for the next three weeks. We'll, we'll add more to it, but we'll just continue the story. Jesus, the story in, in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is teaching those, the, the crowd, the gathering that has come around him, and, it, and it's so much that he is uh, sitting in a boat on a lake where his voice can carry. People are sitting on the seashore listening to his words. And this is what Jesus says. This is a lengthy reading. Uh, Normally I use one verse. I'm going to use 20 verses. You're thinking, man, he was serious about keeping us forever. Mark chapter 4. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it on the lake while all the people were along the shore on the water's edge. Isn't that an amazing visual? He taught them many things by parables. Parables are stories that have a double meaning. And in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the other plants so that they did not bear fruit. Still other seed fell on good soil. And it came up, grew and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, and even a 100 times. Then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear let him hear in other words not just listen but understand what i'm saying when he was alone the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables he told them the secret of the kingdom of god has been given to you but to do those on the outside everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and they may ever be hearing but never understanding otherwise they might turn and be forgiven then Jesus said to them don't you understand this parable how then will you understand any parable he said the farmer sows the word some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown and as soon as they hear it Satan comes And takes away the word that was sown in them. Others. Like seeds sown on rocky places. Hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root. They last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word. They quickly fall away. Still others. Like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires of other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown in good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you today for your word. We ask that you would bless, bless this day, that you would use what you have put in my heart and help me to deliver it with faith and hope and optimism and encouragement. We pray today that your word would challenge each and every one of us, that we would walk away with an encouragement that that we can and will draw closer to you. So, Lord, we love you. We ask that your blessings be upon us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So here's Jesus. He's teaching on the heart's ability to receive the gospel. And Jesus taught many things in in these parables, but Jesus uh, could not identify who he was at the time when when he said he taught in parables so that hearing they may not perceive and, and and uh, seeing they may not understand or reverse that, he was saying he didn't want everybody to know that he was the Messiah because if they really knew who he was, they would not have crucified him and he would not have been able to fulfill his mission. So Jesus taught them in parables. And the question at hand is regarding this parable. Uh, Evidently, this one parable stood out, because the Bible says he taught in parables, many parables, but this is the one that the disciples said, "Ah, man, I don't quite understand this. So they come to Jesus when nobody's around, and I don't know if it was out of ego that they they bruised, but to be honest, if I didn't understand that, I would probably wait and ask later as well. But all of us, I think, have, have been in situations, we've been in, in places, or we've heard sermons, that one aspect of that sermon stands out to you. You ever been there? I, I do that all the time. Uh, I'll, I'll be listening to a sermon, and yes, I listen to sermons. And, and I was listening to a sermon the other day, and, and, and this pastor said one, one line, and it wasn't even in con- it, it was in context, but it was a side note, and it caught my attention. And I can't tell you what he said for the rest of the time. Because I was focused on that one thought. Sometimes the Holy Spirit talks to us that way. And it was the same way here. The disciples, and, um, they wanted to understand this when they didn't get it. And Jesus gave them three components, three, three parts to this parable. He said there's a sower, there's a seed, and then there's the ground. Now, all farmers and he was using he was using an illustration that that those in that day would completely understand that farmers didn't go out like they do now they didn't have John Deere they didn't even have deer they just went out and what they did is they would take a bag of seed and i to be honest i've done that when i cheated with uh, trying to put grass seed out i would just take a handful and i would throw it and take another handful and throw it and and the seed kind of bounces around and it lands where it lands and you're trying to hit the good ground but you know sometimes you're not as accurate as you want to be and Jesus was saying this so everybody could understand this middle imagery because a lot of these guys were more than likely farmers and if they weren't farmers they were probably sons and daughters of farmers and so everybody understood that this is the way that that agriculture went, that he was casting the seed out to allow it to grow and everybody understood that now and he talked about the sower and he, he said the sower at the time he, he may be referring to himself but 1 Corinthians 3.6 says this I planted seed Is Paul he said I planted the seed and Apollos watered it but God made it grow so each and every one of us can be the sower in this parable you and I can be a sower we can plant the word of God we can cast it out there we can't make it grow but we can cast it out there and in return Excuse me, and in return, we can have the the seed, the Word of God, planted in our lives. Because the seed is the word. It's the message from God. It's the message of hope. It's the message that you don't have to die in your sins. It's the message that Christ has come. That It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus was saying that, that I am going to be the one that's going to save people from their sins. It's not because of their good works, and it's not because they're adherents to the law. It's by grace through faith that you're saved. That is the one component That all of us have to understand that the gospel is irrefutable, it's unchangeable, that without Christ, apart from Christ, there is no salvation. We can agree to disagree on other things, but on that, every Christian must agree. So he talked about the sower. He talked about the seed being the message of God, the word of God. And he talked about the ground being the hearts of men. Verse 15 says, And these are they which by the wayside, where the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their and today I want to talk to you, but there's, there's four. He talks about the wayside, the stony ground, the weeds, and the good soil. Today I want to talk to you about the wayside, the hard ground. I want to talk to you about the condition of the heart, about the wayside. Now, if you've ever been in the country, uh, you, you will see, if you're walking out in the woods, you will see little trails. Here in Florida, they do the same thing cows will go on the same trail and you'll see beautiful grass here and beautiful grass there and then there's a trail and they continue to follow that trail and on that trail where they continually walk on that trail where they continually go they don't think about it, they just do it they just, this walk there, the ground gets pushed down, the seed that is in that grass is, is crushed, it's gone and, and there is nothing on that ground, it's just hard If you've ever been on a a country road uh, you try to avoid the ruts but usually you'll see places where both sets of tires will go perhaps in the middle it may be a little grassy but where the tires are, where people travel where everything is going there is always nothing growing Jesus is telling his disciples some people's hearts are kind of that way that that the word of God is sown, but, but they're hard. The hardness of their heart, it, it, they're so dulled. It's so blunted. It's, it's, an air, it's, it's something that, that, a place where nothing really grows and it sits on the top. And I find it interesting that, that a lot of times in our lives, we can have thoughts, perceptions, understandings about God about what God does and how God is and and how God works and we can have gone over that road so many times that we never think about if it's right or wrong it's just rote memory Things that never, we rarely never think about. I, I will tell you one of the things that still bugs me to this day. It drives me insane. I still try to refute it all the time. I cannot believe that Pluto is not a planet. I was taught that in school. I was trained that way. And then they come out and they have the audacity to tell me, no, it's not a planet. And I think, who do they think they are? Of the four groups of of hearts, it's interesting that this is the only one where nothing grows. It's an unfit, unprepared heart. It's arrogant. It's self-indulgent. It's hardness of thought, hardness of emotion. And I want you to notice something in that passage of Scripture, and I would encourage you to read it, reread it, and reread it. Notice that of all the four, this is the only one. The wayside, the thorns, the stony, and the good soil. This is the only one that Satan can come in and actually take the seed. It's the only one that Jesus said. It's so hard that that they're not even thinking, that they're so focused on their own. Own thoughts, that they're, they're focused on their own life, they're focused on, on, on their own, own way of life and doing things that they never stop to consider that something else could be in their life. And the devil's able to come and take that seed from them. See, a closed mind is a person's worst enemy. A closed mind. I'm going to say something and you just hang on with me, will you? Religion will harden your heart and keep you from a relationship with God. Let me say that again. Religion will harden your heart and keep you from a true relationship with God let me give you an example Mark chapter 3 Pharisees are watching Jesus because there's a man with a withered hand it's a Sabbath day and they're watching Jesus and Mark chapter 3 says they're watching him for one reason and one reason only not to see if he can heal, but that if he does, and he breaks their law about the Sabbath. They did not care about the man that with the withered arm. They did not care about his his physical condition. They did not care about his spiritual condition. They didn't care about his home life. They didn't care about where Jesus came from or what, how Jesus was doing this. The only thing they were concerned was, is he going to upheld and uphold our religion if we are not careful we will base everything on religion and our heart will become callous to the relationship with God that's when the adversary can come in and steal truth that God is wanting so deeply to instill in our lives He steals it through preconceived ideology. Let me give you an example. How many baptize in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? I have never baptized that way, ever. I always baptize in the name of Jesus Christ. You know why? Because I'm scriptural. Matthew 28, 19 says, Go and baptize them. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Does it not? And yet, all the times that we see in the book of Acts where people were baptized in Acts 2 is in the name of Jesus. Acts 8, in the name of Jesus Christ. Acts 10, in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Acts 19, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody anywhere, anytime in the Bible was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you say, oh, you're saying sacrilege. No, I'm telling you the truth. What was really wrong with that is that we think that you have to have a certain pronouncement over you when you're baptized. And the real reason about baptism is that you are understanding that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no other name among heaven whereby we must be saved. I don't care what is pronounced over you when you're baptized. If you understand that you are identifying with Jesus Christ that you're buried with him and you rise to walk in newness of life that's when baptism does you good it's not because something's been pronounced over you and you say well I've never seen that before well it could be one of those areas of our life that we have walked over and walked over and walked over So many times that we don't even think about it. We just think it has to go that way because it's always been done that way. But in reality, sometimes our religion can get into the way of our relationship. See, Islam, Hinduism, all these others, they're substitutes for truth. And they teach their people to just do. Don't think, do. Do. In Islam, you pray five times a day toward Mecca every day, all every time. When I was in the Middle East, before the sun came up, you would hear the call for prayer. One of the spookiest things you ever heard in your entire life. At noon, they call to prayer. In the evening, it's a call to prayer. And they expect every good Muslim to stop And pray. It's what you do. Don't think about it. Just do it. And yet Christ compels us. Paul said study to show yourself approved unto God. We can't allow things that we just perceive as right. We need to know they are right. Don't allow what you think is right to interfere with what you that what is truly right. We will agree to disagree on other things, but what we know is true is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if any church, if any people will focus on the things that, that really mean that Jesus can save, Jesus can heal, Jesus can deliver, Jesus can set free, that's when, that's when a church decides, you know what? I think that God really does heal, and I really believe that God, that Christ can set free that's when the people in that church decide you know what it's not programs that bring people to church it's people that bring people to church and and it's not it's friends that bring friends to church And, and when you start getting people around and you start bringing them in and they hear the message and they feel the presence of God in their life and they know that God is true that's when they surrender their lives to the Lord and say God I'm all in If you want to see growth, if you want to see transition, if you want to see conversion, it comes from from people that are realizing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's not through the program that I would insist on. It's not through the program you would insist on. It's Christ alone. That's where we have to be. So let me get back to my notes And you say well how do we do this? I'm so glad you asked I want to give you two things two things to challenge your heart two things to challenge my heart here's the first one intellectual honesty intellectual honesty have you ever noticed the people that know the least are the most opinionated the people that i think that know the most are the most open you know why because they've realized there's so much to to know that they don't know anything intellectual honesty i love in in the chapter of in the book of acts and, and 17 the bible talks about the bereans and they, they said they studied the scriptures to prove to to test and to see that what Paul was saying was true. They didn't take it for granted, nor did they deny it. Paul just left Thessalonica, and he had been run out of of town on a rail because the Jewish people said, no, I am not going to listen. No, I'm not going to change. No, I'm not going to do anything. You're wrong, and I'm just going to stay with what I know. And they had no intellectual honesty. And then he goes to Berea, and in Berea, they studied, and some said, I agree. But they looked at it. The other day, I was uh, driving around, and I had my two year old uh, granddaughter in the back seat driving Miss Gwynne. And, and uh, I was drawn on Lake Underhill Road. Uh, we had just gone to a store, and she saw something she liked. So being the good person I am, I bought it for her. And it was a little tea set. I was an old a little tea set. And I thought, plastic. And I thought, oh, that's great. You know, tea cups. You know, we'll be playing with those later. And she wanted it open, so I opened it. Driving down Lake Underhill, and I hear her back there, and She's choking. And I didn't look well enough and one of the small pieces, a top to a tea set, was lodged in her throat and she couldn't breathe. I never want to go through that again. I slammed on my brakes in the middle of Lake Underhill Road. And when I slammed on my brakes, it kind of dislodged it just for a second. And I had just enough time to reach in there and grab it and pull out. She was terrified and crying. I was terrified and crying. The guy behind me, on the other hand, he wasn't terrified at all. He was upset. He was upset because I was impeding his progress and he had no idea why I stopped. So he decided to honk his horn and and kind of wave at me with one finger. I honked, but I didn't wave. Back. He made a decision without knowing all the facts. He looked at it and said, here's a stupid person stopping in the middle of the road, must be trying to find Disneyland. I knew you Floridians would love that. Uh, And he had no idea that I was trying to save a two-year-old's life. had he known his reaction would probably have been different you see the bible says that a person that that makes a decision without knowing all the facts is a fool i've never really met a true atheist i, I, I saw uh, a guy talking to a, a, an atheist on, on, a, on a video on, and the guy said, he's an atheist. And he said, really? He said, have you ever read this Bible? And he said, no, I haven't read the Bible. And he says, you're not an atheist, you're a moron. <laughs> and he said, well, why do you say that? And he said, well, you, atheist, you're saying that there is no God. To be a true atheist, to be a true, honest-to-goodness atheist, you would have to have been everywhere and have seen everything and know everything, and then you could decide there is no God. But for somebody that says, I'm not going to read that, I just don't think there's a God based on my own experience. Well, I'm sorry, that's not an atheist. The Bible says in Psalm 14:1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Proverbs 12:15, the way of the fool, a person that makes decisions without knowing all the facts, is right in his own eyes is right in his own eyes. Proverbs fourteen sixteen says this, a wise man fears and departs from evil, but the fool rages and is confident. How many times have you seen people that are just so adamant, oh, I'm right, I'm right, and you know they're wrong. But there's no arguing, there's no debating. One of the best things that ever happened to me... Can I go a couple more minutes? One of the best things that ever happened to me was... I first went... Because I came to Christ in a Pentecostal church. Not... You say, well, what is a Pentecostal church? Running the aisles. Dancing. Went to a Pentecostal Bible college. Then... I went to a Southern Baptist seminary. One's on this side. The other one's on this side. Best thing that ever happened to me. You say, well, why is that, Pastor? Because it challenged me. Because I didn't just have one side of a story. See, because I know that the number one rule in debating is you learn your opponent's position not to prove them wrong but you look at it with intellectual honesty and you try to figure out why do they see it this way i'll be honest There was a couple of things i learned in seminary that i thought you know what i looked at it in scripture and they're right one of them i even went back to the church and said you know what i I preached this a few years ago, and guess what? I've changed my position. We're growing in Christ. Other things, I looked at it with intellectual honesty, and I said, nah. But what it did for me was it firmed up the gospel in my heart. You have to have intellectual honesty. If you're going into anything with a preconceived idea of this is the way it should be and this is the way it should go, without really listening, you're making a mistake. The second one is this. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Be spiritual or have spiritual sensitivity Remember, Paul, uh, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, he said, And this promise, talking about the Holy Spirit, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, and this promise is to you and to your generation and to those that are afar off, as many as the Lord shall call. Under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, speaking words that the Holy Spirit was giving him, had no idea what it really meant. And you say, how do you know he didn't know what it really meant? Because in Acts chapter 10, when he when needs to go to uh, Cornelius' house, because Cornelius is a, is a God-fearing Gentile, and no Jew ever went to a Gentile's house because it was against the, the law that, that you could not enter a Gentile's house, he argued with God that he shouldn't go. And when he went and preached the gospel to them and the Holy Spirit fell and they saw that the Holy Spirit was given to them, but it's because the Bible says they saw him speaking in tongues, that, that they had the Holy Spirit. Paul looked at the other Jews that went with him and said, wow, it's amazing that this same gift is given to the Gentiles. And he had preached it on the day of Pentecost, but didn't understand it until then, I wonder what would have happened if Peter, when God gave him that vision of the unclean animals coming down out of heaven and, and he looked at it and he said, when the Lord said, rise, Peter, kill and eat, and he would said, no, 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 I'm not doing. It. I wonder what would have happened if he would have refused the Lord. Because he refused to follow the Spirit, refuse to change His opinion, refuse to listen to the Lord. You can never go wrong with being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Never go wrong. I have been in places where I felt like the Holy Spirit said, talk to that person. And there's times that I have and there's times that I haven't. The times that I did, man, I was happy. Yes. Because I remember DJ Burrell standing in church. I you know, felt like the Lord said, go tell her everything's okay. So we're all worshiping in church, standing and singing. And I walked, I was an usher, and I walked over and talked to her and said, you know, I really feel like the Lord said everything's going to be okay. And she just busted out in tears, and I said, oh, good Lord, what have I done? I had no idea that her husband said, I'm leaving you. When you get back from church, I'm not going to be here. But the Holy Spirit did. I was so thankful that I listened to the Holy Spirit that day. I remember a day years before that, that I was there on a Wednesday night, Bible study, and everybody knows that Wednesday nights are just dry. Bible—that's back when we had Bible studies on Wednesday night. Saw a guy that I was relatively new to church, probably six six months in, maybe. Um, knew just enough, you know. The Bible says it's a sword. Uh, I kind of used it like a club. Uh, knew just enough to be dangerous, and see this guy just sitting there, and I feel the Holy Spirit says go invite him down to the front, to the altar. And I said, no, I'm not doing that. And he kept impressing on me, and I said, no. And here's here's my rationale. you ready for this? I thought, here's what I thought. I'll wait until Sunday, because this is Wednesday. I'm going to wait until Sunday. And when Sunday comes, and he's here, I'm going to ask him. Sunday came around and I didn't see him. So I asked one of the other guys, I said, hey, you remember that guy that was over here Wednesday? Do you know who he was? He said, yeah, that's so-and-so's brother. He got in a car wreck and died two days ago. And it's haunted me and still haunts me to this day. Church is not about perfection. It's about being honest. It's about being transparent. And it's about allowing the Holy Spirit to do the work in us. Our job is just to share the gospel. It's the Holy Spirit's job to change people. We can't change anybody. But when we decide that we are going to be that person that God calls us to be, I will promise you one thing you will never regret, you will never, ever regret sharing the gospel with somebody, you'll never regret seeing that person come to a relationship with Christ transformed born into the kingdom of God. And you know, you were part of that. And my friends, that person that you lead to Christ will have a special relationship with you until the day they die. Because you were the one that spoke hope and encouragement. Would you stand with me? so I told you I'm, I'm a glass half full guy so I want you to fill up the other half of your glass if you're sitting there thinking oh I only have a half a glass that's fine let the Holy Spirit fill up the other half don't be afraid to share the gospel don't be afraid well, say I don't know that much who cares who cares you, you would have been surprised You know, I was trying to share the Roman road when I was new. God, I took them everywhere but the Roman road. I never did find the Roman road. But they came to church anyway because I told them what God had done for me. I said, you know, I was hooked on all kinds of stuff, but look what God has done. And I began to share from my heart the the majesty and the glory and the beauty of having a surrendered life to God that he could set you free from anything. And people listen to that. It's not about how much you know, it's about how much you share about what God has done for you. And you say, well, God hasn't done much for me. Really? Allow God to do the work in you, would you?